Now, I expect all of us at some point have had a few mean tricks played on us in our time. I don't know how many people fell for Paul's April Fool um, earlier. Apparently, um, one the, the, there are seasonal mean tricks that you can play. So um, apparently, uh, one of the meanest tricks um, of the season that some parents apparently do at this time of year is, is a sort of making Easter healthy um, mean trick. So in, instead of chocolate eggs, apparently what some parents do is they, take, they unpeel the eggs, they take the chocolate out, and they replace it with grapes and oranges and avocado. Okay, now if you're thinking about doing that, this is not the time um, to, to, to make your kids healthy. Okay, please do not do that. And all of the bad associations it would create with Jesus and Easter and everything like that, please don't do that. It's just a cruel and a mean trick. And please don't do that to me ever as well. Uh, um, but I'm sure, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we're all well aware that um, today is both Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day. And of course, some cynics out there would argue that this couldn't be more appropriate. Um, in fact, many people today assume that believing Jesus Christ rose from the dead on that first Easter morning is nothing more than a fool's belief. A mean trick played by a few power-hungry disciples on gullible people who were prone to believe anything. And for someone looking into these things for the first time, yes, the hoax theory must, of course, be one of the options. You need to consider that possibility. But here's the key question. How strong an option does that remain once you actually look into the evidence? How strong an option does that remain once you actually look into the evidence? Well, here is what Tom Wright, who is both a bishop and an eminent New Testament scholar, has to say on these matters.
Yes, yeah, so as Tom Wright says, there is so much evidence to look into. And again and again and again, I have found that people who actually look into these things for the first time are amazed by what they find. First of all, by just how strong the evidence is that Jesus rose from the dead. But then second, by how hard it is to make a serious case for the alternatives. And even sceptical scholars admit it's not straightforward at all to make a case for the alternatives. It's certainly not nearly as easy to explain away as the person on the street who hasn't looked into it will often assume. And I just want to say, if you're new um, to this, Lee Strobel's books, The Case for Christ, or the sort of shortened um, form, A Case for Easter, are a very, very helpful introduction to that. I'm afraid we've actually sold out um, now on our bookstall, but do, uh, do order um, one of those online if you want to look into those things further. But then when we actually turn to the eyewitness testimony recorded in the Bible, like the reading that we heard at the start of the service from Mark's Gospel, um, when you look at it, we just don't find this bunch of clever, cunning, power-hungry people who are trying to find some way to keep the Jesus movement going. No. What do we find? Well, we find a disappointed and disillusioned group of people who, yes, had been hoping for great things with Jesus, but who now thought that those hopes had come to nothing when he died. That's what they thought. It is, of course, one of the great tragedies of the world that we live in, seeing people cut off in their prime, people who promise so much, and then suddenly they're gone. One of the most talented people I've ever known um, was a guy in my class at secondary school called Nick. Um, he was an incredible athlete, and he was a great rugby player. Uh, I, as you remember being in a 200-meter um, race uh, with him, I was in um, lane four, he was in uh, lane one, and um, as, the, as the race got going, I heard this sort of thundering coming from a, a, from a lane inside me, this pounding on the ground like I've never, ever heard in my life before. And then a few, a few moments later, this 13-year-old boy ran fast me, faster than I've ever seen a 13-year-old run. And he, he ended up beating the rest of us in, in a 200 race by about 50 metres. That's how good he was. Absolutely remarkable. And by the end of our school years, well, he was on course for a great rugby career for England. And everybody said he is as talented as any scrum half we've ever seen. But then he died, very suddenly, on a training camp. And all of that incredible potential was lost. Well, maybe you know someone like that. But whether you do or not, I don't need to tell you that death is a curse on this planet. It's an intruder and a thief. And Jesus' first followers thought that death had stolen him away too. That's what they thought. Um, so two days later, verse 1, and it, it's up on the screen there, the two Marys and Salome, um, they're going to pay their final respects, just like we would at a funeral. They're on their way to the tomb simply to anoint Jesus' body, but certainly not to see if he might be alive, because they had no expectation of that at all, no expectation. And this is really significant, even though, yes, Jesus had said to his disciples on several occasions, um, I'm going to die and rise three days later, but the significant thing is, they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And if you were to flick back to chapter 9, verse 10, it says that explicitly. It says they, they were questioning among themselves, what, what does this rising from the dead mean? They couldn't fathom what he, would, what he was talking about. They really thought it was all over when he died. The only thing um, Mark tells us that they were wondering about in verse 3 is whether there might be enough soldiers around to move the huge boulder sealing the tomb so that they can actually anoint the body. But when they arrive, they get the greatest surprise in the history of the world. The stone has already been rolled away. 
The guards are nowhere to be seen, and there is a strangely calm young man in a strangely clean white robe with a strangely matter-of-fact message waiting there to greet them. But Mark is at pains to tell us that um, these women were as surprised as anyone. So verse 5, they're alarmed. Verse 8, they're trembling and bewildered and afraid. And their immediate response is not to rejoice, but to flee. They're completely overwhelmed. For them, as for us, the idea that a man who 48 hours before had been flogged and crucified, the idea that he could be alive again, just was, was beyond the realm of possibility for them. These were not gullible people. These were people who reality took by surprise. Now, all through this series, we've been asking the question, why does Easter matter? And in today's passage, the meaning is found in the message of the angel. Um, the, the chilled out man in white, by the way, is, of course, an angel. Um, angel literally means um, messenger. And uh, we actually have an example of what he might have looked like. Um, Os- Oscar and Toby, could both of you just stand up? Um, so these are two, these are two brothers. Um, so uh, wearing fantastic Easter garments. Um, Oscar on the right in white is what the angel would have looked like. I think probably the yellow is, is going a bit far. But that, it, would, it would look just like that in the empty tomb. Guys, thank you so much for giving us a, a real live illustration of that. <laughs> but the, the angel's message is where it all hits home. And I just want to um, draw your attention to three details of um, the message that bring home the meaning of it. So first of all, where he says in verse 6, don't be alarmed, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. Do you see the point? Do you see why the angel is not alarmed and why he thinks they should not be alarmed either? And his point is, you're not just looking for anyone, you're looking for Jesus. That's who you're looking for. In other words, you're looking for someone who you know is categorically different from anyone else you've ever known. Different from anyone else in the history of the world. And you know that. You know that from his teaching. You know that from his miracles. You know that from his love. For goodness sake, don't lump him in the same box as the rest of us other mortals. Of course the grave couldn't contain him. Why does Easter matter? Well, because it reminds us that Jesus Christ is different from anyone else who has ever lived, including, and this is important, including all other religious teachers. None of them rose from the dead. He is in a different category entirely. The evidence says they are dead. The evidence, and very strong evidence, says he is alive. Death may have authority over us, but not over him. As the book of Hebrews puts it, with Jesus, you're dealing with the power of an indestructible life. And so with that indestructible life comes a whole new set of possibilities, a whole new reality to reckon with, a dizzying new reality that blows our categories and our expectations, that makes us tremble when we really come to terms with it, but ultimately to to tremble with joy. Easter declares to us the total uniqueness of Jesus and a whole new reality. Second detail comes at the end of verse 7. And it's where the angel says this, There you will see him in Galilee, just as he told you. Now those words, just as he told you, are incredibly significant. At first glance, they simply refer back to Mark 14, verse 28, where Jesus says to his disciples before he dies, After I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. At first glance, it's just a quote. 
But just think on that for a moment. Think on what he is saying there. This is a man who does just what he tells us, even when it involves humanly impossible things. Another tragedy of the modern world is that many men today are unfaithful to their word. But here is a man who not only was always faithful to his word, but was faithful to his word even when it means he has to come back from the grave to do what he says. So he could say, and this is crazy, he could say with complete seriousness, I'll come back from the dead and then I'll see you for a barbecue in Galilee this time next week. Who says that? Who else could ever say that? But he did. This is a man who has the power to do whatever he says, however crazy or impossible it may sound. And why does this matter to us personally? Well, if you were to look back through Mark's gospel, you would see the promises that this man makes. And it includes the promise of forgiving all of our sins. Forgiving all of our sins, including the sins that we think God would never forgive us for. But he does, because Jesus says so. It's the promise of becoming part of God's family, becoming brothers and sisters of Christ, sons and daughters of the living God, a new place to belong and to call home. No more being alone in this world because Jesus says so. It includes the promise of eternal life. And whether we live till old age or whether we tragically are cut off in our prime, that is his promise to all who follow him, eternal life. And in fact, our definition of being in our prime would make God laugh because he knows what we will be. And our prime in this life, well, it doesn't even compare. It's not worth being worried about. And then it also means he will come back as he promised. He'll come back to fulfill our deepest longings, to wipe away our tears and to bring in a new kind of life and reality that he calls glory that our finite imaginations cannot even begin to grasp. So if any of that matters to you, then Easter matters. And it's no fool's belief. It's trusting that the one who has the power to do whatever he promises will do what he promises. And if death couldn't stop him, well, nothing else will. He will do everything just as he told us. Everything. And then the third detail, and this also brings great comfort. Uh, It's there in the first half of verse 7, and where it says, um, Tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. Did you notice that detail when Paul read it earlier? And Peter. Why does it say that? Well, you may remember that Peter had told Jesus that he would do anything for him. He said before Jesus died, even if all fall away, I will not. And yet Peter was not faithful to that promise. In fact, that very night, three times, he denied ever knowing Jesus. And so the angel's words say to Peter, Peter, there's hope for you here as well. Hope for failures. And more than that, there's hope hope here for those like Peter, for any of us who at times have been too ashamed or too afraid to identify with Jesus. There's hope here for us So brothers and sisters, I'm here today to tell you, Easter is not some mean trick. The tomb was empty and Jesus is alive. Because Jesus was never like anyone else in the history of the world. 
He alone had the power over sickness. He alone had the power to defeat death. He alone had the perfection to defeat death for us. And he rose from the dead just as he told us. He forgives our sins just as he told us. He restores those who fail him just as he told us. He makes us children of the living God just as he told us. He will make every sacrifice that you ever make for him worthwhile just as he told us. He will return in glory just as he told us. And he will share that resurrection glory with all who hope in him just as he told us. Amen. Amen.